We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As much as we know you may have enjoyed this podcast in the past, I must announce that we are officially pivoting to inflatable unicorn content. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, so we don't have a name for the pod yet. I, I was thinking about like Univision, but that's actually a, a, a Spanish language network in the U.S., so I don't think we can get that trademark. But something that keeps the vision name but includes the inflatable unicorn content that you all want. Uh, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, then the problem is yours because the most wholesome images ever taken have emerged of a bathing suit wearing Bukayo Saka with joy painted on his face, soaring into a pool, astride an inflatable unicorn. And I I don't know about you, but it, it brought joy back to me. It unified the fan base. It is, it is my everything. And I think if you haven't seen it yet, you should run to find it because it will be the equivalent of uh, doing yoga atop uh, a mountain peak at sunrise uh, in terms of calming your soul and bringing you joy. So we, we will cover that extensively and then maybe other stuff. So uh, regular pod today, but I do just want to wish uh, any Americans enjoying their 4th of July holiday, happy 4th of July. And anybody who's not American enjoying their Monday, happy Monday or enjoying whatever day you're listening to this because, you know, you may not be listening to it right now. Heck, it might be your weekend already and you're off and you're having a beverage. So congrats on getting through the week. I don't know where I'm going with this other than to say, if you would like to see what I'm like, not sober, you can do that in Las Vegas, August 20 to 22nd. You can do it with Clive. You can do it with Paul. You can do it with Tim. You can do it with Jessica Black. You can do it with Warren Barton from Fox Sports. You can do it with Ted Knutson, the CEO of StatsBomb. You can do it with a whole host of wonderful Arsenal fans in Las Vegas at the win, footballfest2021.com. The reason I tell you this again is because I'd like you to be there, but also the win discount rooms are just about gone. You can stay wherever you want, still attend all the events. We're actually looking at uh, a Saturday night where we might have an entire bar booked up just for us with food and drinks, so that could be fun. But there's going to be parties to watch the games, giveaways. Uh, in fact, you can win an appearance on this very podcast. So uh, lots of fun stuff going on, and I hope you'll be there. Footballfest2021.com. Uh, if you do want to learn more about uh, Albert Sambi Lakanga and Nuno Tavares, we did a scouting video on Patreon, uh, Clive and myself. That was really, really good, um, especially Lakanga. Like the, the move just looks really, really smart, assuming it comes off. Um, and, and the problem is, having done the scouting video, 
neither of those moves will come off. I, I do hasten to add, it is July 5th, as we are recording this, Arsenal have sold no one and bought no one. So, you know, just t- if you're keeping score at home. Let's introduce the people who are on the pod because they're the ones you're here to listen to. Tim is back, and he's on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hey, hello, hello. Paul is indeed on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo. Woohoo. All right, um, Tim, we'll start with you because we haven't heard from you in a bit. So first, first of all, just um, are you prepared, willing, and excited to pivot to inflatable unicorn content? Absolutely, 100%. Yes. What, what a wonderful, memeable um, image uh, and fantastic for cutting and pasting into um, other famous images. It, it's kind of up there, I think, with, um, you know, obviously the opposite in wholesomeness, but, you know, like when John Terry lifted the Champions League trophy in his full kit and all of these photoshops turned up of him, like standing next to Buzz Aldrin, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the moon landing and things like that. Just fantastic digital potential for that image. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Wasn't he um, called a full kit wanker? And I say that, I know we all know that, but I just wanted the opportunity to call John Terry a wanker. Yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. never turn that opportunity down. No, it's yep. it's a good one to grasp. Yeah, the 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 Saka thing is is as wholesome as it comes. Um, I will quickly ask you one other thing, Tim. Since we haven't spoken to you, uh, you have informed us that you are going to the Euro semifinal against uh, Denmark. So that's exciting. And congrats, mm-hmm. uh, assuming all of your tests come out the way the tests need to come out. But mm-hmm. how have you been enjoying the journey of it coming yeah. home? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I really, really have. I've been reflecting on this a lot, actually, in the last couple of days, because um, because I'm one of those real like glory hunting England supporters. And I've I've really made peace with that over the last few years. And obviously, maybe it's been easier to make peace with that when they've actually done reasonably well in the last couple of tournaments. But, you know, I'm going to make no bones about it. I, I have very little interest in England during the season. And I think a couple of the things that make it really special, first of all, during the summer when there is no league, so it feels less like an interruption to the Premier League season. Obviously, the games are more meaningful, but also like the, you know, the in, the intensity of um, of an international tournament and just going through those stages of, oh, well, it's the first group game. OK, I'm, I'm in, I guess. Second group <laughs> game. Yeah, OK. Oh, we're going to qualify for the round of six. And you start getting invest, really invested in that third group game. And it, it just gradually notches up and I, I think there are a few things going on as well that that make it because i i've look i've wrestled like a lot of people have not everyone but like a lot of people i've wrestled with an know, alligator probably in my uh, not not no, quite not oh, quite um <laughs> i knew i should stop interrupting and just listen <laughs> but like i guess in my 20s i kind of um you know, as I was coming to terms with my liberal conscience, conscience, and I, I started having those thoughts like, what does supporting England actually mean in these in this day and age? And I, I kind of put that to one side, and I was like, oh, it's sport, and sports fun. Like, I don't need to think about, you know, um, I don't need to think about that stuff. And does everyone else torture themselves with that stuff? But then, you know, you grow up with an England team with lots of players you really don't like in it, and it's and it is difficult to switch that off it's easier to switch it off in the summer but it's difficult to switch that off but that that's not really an issue with this England team or or, or indeed this England manager who um, I think the consensus is a thoroughly decent man and and in a very real way um, I think he um, has has united um, people behind this England team and he's he's got the players as well and and, and I just it's not a coincidence that you know Southgate's very big on kind of empathy and just being decent. And then you see that in the players, but you actually see that it has a value on the pitch. 
um, as well. And, and I don't think think those things are, are coincidental at all. Um, mm. And England are, are, you know, threatening to become a half-decent tournament team because I think Southgate gets tournaments in a way which is um, no room for the fancy stuff. You've got to be a bit a little bit attritional and play the margins that that's just how international tournament football works and uh, yeah and and it's 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 been it's been really exciting I'm, I'm really excited about um wednesday night as well yeah i i mean i i think it's been a lot, just a super fun tournament as a neutral i've been sort of rooting for england but england now come up against the neutral favorites in a way because of the storyline with denmark so it'll be interesting to see those narratives collide and i i have to say you know without wanting to get political just to make the point that that you touched on i definitely think we all struggle to some extent with Wanting to allow ourselves to feel a sense of patriotism in certain circumstances while understanding there can be an ugly side to that when it becomes jingoism or nationalism. And so I think that's an important distinction to draw. You know, this is a holiday in America where you see a lot of American flags flying. And for some reason over the past few years, seeing American flags flying has almost become a thing that has become even divisive within our own country. And I think it is a reflection of the fact that it would be nice to be able to to love your country without it be having to be a nationalist or jingoist thing and be able yeah. to support the things your country represent. Because like I think about my children, right? I love my children. If they misbehave, I have to discipline them. I will try to educate them and make them better because I want them to become better people. I think you can love a flawed place and a flawed culture and hope for it to constantly grow and improve and get better. But certainly, I think right now, globally, a lot of us are struggling with those lines between yeah. what is healthy love for your your place where you live and your land and your and your patriotism and what is jingoism and nationalism that turns a blind eye to the challenges your country faces so uh, again without wanting to get too political i think it is a really interesting thing you've touched on because sometimes those moments of massive patriotic celebration can can go a really good way like i think football can take us there it can go a pretty ugly way too which unfortunately we've seen a bit too much of yeah, and and it it can kind of depend on your government. I mean, obviously, I, I'm I'm not in the USA, but I'd imagine um, you know the previous president maybe added to some of those those feelings of divisiveness around you know national symbols and things like this. I he I, did you know, love to hug a flag. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I'm seeing it, um, you know, albeit from kind of afar geographically, but with Brazil at the moment, like Brazil are having another great Copper America. Like, they look like they're going to win it. They won the last one. They're just winning every game at the moment. But there's a real detachment from the national team over there for, for a few other reasons, but largely because they have an openly fascist president and lots of people are struggling with the idea of, um, you know, being proud of a national symbol like the Salasau. So I think those things come into it as well. Yeah, I agree. Well, before we move on to the Arsenal-related topic specifically, because this is sort of the big thing that's happening right now, I guess we'll give everyone a whack at it, uh, even though we are putting out daily daily episodes about it as well. Um, Paul, your your thoughts on sort of the, the England journey and, and some of the uh, ideas that Tim just expressed? Yeah, um, I, I think Tim expressed it really well, and I think it's something that we all, like you talked about it for the U.S., I have the interesting situation where like I have a similar quandary sometimes with Ireland and what to be proud about and what not to be proud about. Um, there's plenty not to be proud about. Um, I lived in England. I lived in the US. So like I have these affiliations and loyalties um, of various sorts. And you kind of like Tim, you, you go through a phase where you question what is nationalism? What is patriotism? That's kind of that's biased. That's my tribe against your tribe. But the mm. thing is, 
we all have some of this in us. And if you don't have it, football, Paul, classic example. <laughs> and if you deny it, you're doing yourself harm. And if you don't see it for what it is and kind of integrate it into your personality, then you, it's very challenging for people. You, like you can't deny what you're made of. So you're better to understand it, embrace it, enjoy it, take the good part of it, uh, be aware of the bad part of it in your in yourself and in others, and you just integrate that aspect of you. Um, like this whole thing called alienation that was a specific topic referred to Germany in the 19th century. And uh, all of the philosophers of that time talked about alienation. And what it was really talking about was literally that uh, the population alienated from their culture, from the ruling class, from the good, like it doesn't, doesn't end well when alienation is the thing. And I think we all know that in our heart and soul, right? You have to find an accommodation, a kind of a, a bilingual, like if you speak a couple of languages, you speak the, speak the right language in the right country or in the right group. And when it comes to the right amount of patriotism and when to be patri patriotic, uh, you kind of got to trust the good part of it. Uh, it's what pulls us together. We live in countries, we live in communities, and you kind of got to get into it. Yeah, I mean, which would be which is better? Nobody loved their country at all and cared to yeah. improve it, fix it, upgrade it, evolve it, or everybody loved their country without feeling the need to become nationalistic about it and wanted to make it a better, special place that's inclusive and successful for everybody who lives there, right? So, like, patriotism yeah, even can if it be means expressed. I want it to be so much better because <laughs> it's so far away from what I want it to be. Yeah, you still got to love your country. Oh my gosh, <clears throat> I mean, there are war, you know war torn countries, countries that have gone through horrible, horrible things, and the people that are extremely deeply pa patriotic about those places are patriotic because they want to restore it to something, you know, something healthy and and successful. So I, I yeah, I mean, look, I think we're all saying sort of the same thing. An interesting um, sort of study that tells you a lot about how people will just identify with the things that that they feel a belonging to is in America. If you survey what people think, you know, like an approval rating for Congress, it's always like 20%. But if you ask the <laughs> approval rating of their Congress person, it's always like 70 or 80%. And it's a point like, those people are doing a terrible job. Oh, not ours. He's great. Our guy's great. It's all the other guys that are bad. So, you know, it's just sort of reflective. Clive, um, before we move on and, and, and I'll tear each other asunder over, over William Saliba and Ben White and so on, which is what we really want to get to... Um, I know the England journey has been, has been a pleasure for you. We had a chance to speak about it a bit. Um, a shame that Saka didn't get to play, but Jaden Sancho, the good news is Jaden Sancho becoming a Premier League player means he's eligible for selection by Gareth South, Southgate, so that was good for England. Um, I'm sure you enjoyed that, because if you remember, Clive, we did, the, we did the Euro Daily together the night before the England game. Yeah. I made that joke on the podcast, and sure enough, he was picked for the game. <laughs> Which I, I think it was the right game. It was the right game for him, wasn't it? Really, yeah. I think um, we were going to have more of the ball, and we we're going to play in more tighter spaces. And it suited his skill set you know, around keeping the ball, retaining it, and creating new lanes, etc. Whereas in some against some of the better teams, we're going to be travelling with the ball, breaking against teams. And I think Saka's more suited. Saka, I think he's more direct. And it wouldn't surprise me if Saka played midweek. I think Foden's falling in, in between the two of them. And, um, you know, Rashford doesn't, doesn't really work on the right. So I think Saka can come back, particularly for the first 60, 65 minutes, 
they give us that directness, really, and I think that works. Then we can make a change after that and get more control. So, um, yeah, I, I love what Southgate's doing from a, an England perspective. Just you guys know that I've, I've been studying him for a while, you know, and he's. I just feel he's the absolute best England manager we could ever have. Certainly um, for the moment. He certainly think, feels right for the moment, yeah. Yeah, I just think he, he gets what's happening in the national psyche. He's trying to he's trying to use it. He's creating an environment where everybody's included and everyone's allowed to like the country, you know. And I was in my football club the other day and my son was singing national anthem and I'm thinking, Craig, when I was growing up, I couldn't sing the national anthem. I wasn't allowed to. I wasn't allowed to feel that proud and 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 Southgate's made everybody feel as though it's okay to support this England team because they are a credit. All the players, you know, they are a credit to themselves, how they behave, how they behave together, how they promote themselves outside of the game. I mean, I think they're just a wonderful group and um and he's done that and he recognises that the job he has is bigger than the actual the football match and the football game and what time he makes his substitutions and obviously that's a big part of it because we, we want to we want to see him win. But I just think he understands how important the role is and when I look around at some of our other leadership in the world, in our political leadership in the world, I look at him and think, okay, I wish some more of our leaders could have some decency that he has. And um, yeah, I'm a huge a huge fan of him, a huge fan. I hope it works out. I hope he survives the washing machine he'll fall into if he lives on Wednesday night. But yeah, it's that be, bingo mug again. I hope it all works out for him. <laughs> yeah. I hope it works out for him. Your mug actually, you actually have a mug that says he's in the washing machine now. So maybe we we can um, keep Southgate out of the washing machine. I, the, the reality is with international football is all of these appointments are limited in duration. I, it is such a weird job and a job that I, I think takes a very specific kind of person because it's, you know, you, you only get to work with the players very rarely and you only get to be judged on your performance really once every two years very tricky um well let's get to the arsenal stuff that we can really bicker and argue over and and tim the first one is the william saliba stuff now we've all sort of said what we think about ben white and about william saliba you know the players and whether they're ready clive and i did the scouting video for saliba and for ben white and i have to confess that saliba came out looking a little more raw than maybe i anticipated the idea that he could just step in and be our center back right now maybe looks like a reach to me in retrospect. But in terms of agreeing now to send him on loan, I'm curious Mm -hmm. if you think that this is a smart early decision purely based on what's best for developing the talent or if there are other factors at play that you think may be worth considering. I'm kind of prepared to take it on face value. Um, And so it's it's probably a smart thing. It's weird, like... I, this kind of makes in in a way that I didn't perhaps not see but understand the sense in the whole kind of Ben White William Saliba thing earlier on. I I do kind of get this a bit more because it just looks like that you know and it, this might not be true but it looks more like there's a firm plan you know um, if we'd like let him join for pre season and then in early August or mid August or September or something decide mm, actually he's gonna go on loan. Like this just seems a bit more firm and decisive, you know? And actually it looks like if you're doing that, if you're sending him out on loan, that because they want him to play. They want him to continue playing. And I, I think some of the argument, um, you know, I guess the pro Saliba argument was a bit mischaracterized and people were kind of saying, oh, my God, like, why do you think he can come in and play like 38 games? And it's like, well, mm, I, don't, I don't think that's what people are saying. I think what people are saying 
why can't he be one of the four centre-halves rather than I think he should play every minute of every game and be the captain, etc., etc. Um, but actually sending him on loan does just, it just looks like a much firmer decision, which I'm sure he'll appreciate as well, because it didn't always look like there was that, that kind of plan for him. And they're obviously interested in the idea of him playing. Now, whether that's because they want to develop him for Arsenal or whether that's because they want to fatten him up for sale, I don't know. I do kind of suspect the latter just because it looks like he's going to Marseille. And I, for me, I think if they were, if they were real, and, and again, it depends on, I guess, on what the player wants, but really you'd be saying to the player, come on, you've had like two seasons in France now, like you've done that. You, you kind of need to go to the Premier League now. Um, so I, I guess I'm curious about it just in the respect of him going back to League 1. Um, but then again, maybe they just thought, well, actually, last you know, last season, well, he only had half a season, didn't he, at Nice? And yeah, that was going all right. Maybe we'll just keep him going there, or maybe we're we're not that bothered about the difference between League One and the Premier League. But I, I'm I'm actually, I guess, I'm slightly um, I'm slightly more back on the fence about this, just because it does look firmer. And, and I did um, appreciate what. Um, Pete, or um, or I, I guess Pedro, Pedro yeah, as, as, as he, uh, the name he goes by, um, you know, on Friday, kind of making that point about Ben White, you know, being 23 before he gets the Arsenal move, you know, and he spent time at Peterborough and Newport and Leeds in the championship. And I do get that. I mean, whether we'll get that long with Saliba, I don't know, because I think his contract will be up by the time he's 23. And whether he ever thinks that Arsenal's the club to develop at, I'm, I'm not quite sure that that will happen. But I, I am a bit more in, encouraged um, by this. It does make a little bit more sense to me. And maybe there are some defenders we have that in a year or two we can maybe make a bit more of a judgment on. And then, you know, maybe next summer look at it and say, well, mm, is holding better than Saliba? Um, is Mari better than Saliba and and make, I guess, a more informed decision then? Yeah, a few things. I mean, first of all, what we paid for Saliba is irrelevant. What matters is how good a player Saliba is, because at this point, the fee is paid. It is what it is. There is no construction of this, in my view, where the fee doesn't look like an error. But that doesn't mean the signing has to be an error in terms of what the player can be. The, the problem for me is this looks ultimately like he will be sold. Now, look, there is a chance, I mean, and, and not a chance of thing I'm rooting for, that Arteta has a bad season, it doesn't work out, he doesn't stay at Arsenal, and the next guy comes in and says, I want Saliba to be my center back, so bring him back, we're going to use him. But the problem is, I think at the end of this next season, Saliba has two years left, which means it is time to sell or renew, really. You don't want him to get into that last year. And the problem with that is, why would William Saliba renew with Arsenal? Like, there's absolute, if Arteta's still there, it's just, there'd be no reason to do it. Even if Arteta's like, okay, you can play this season. You've had such an uncertain developmental path with Arsenal. The idea that you're going to renew your contract after three seasons having never been used in a single minute of football by the club, you're not going to do that. So he's gone. He's not even going to get a preseason. Arteta won't get a look at him. He won't get to integrate with the players. He won't get to get to know anybody, be part of the team, be around the club. He will go. He will spend his entire season again in France. Really, three seasons of, of basically no integration into England, into the team, into the club. And then he comes back at a re-sign or sell juncture. Of course, that's going to mean sell, unless there's a coaching change. And, you know, in terms of whether Saliba will be great or not, that's not even my point. My point is, no, we messed this up. He's amazing. I, I don't know that. I just know that 
we paid a huge fee. We didn't really find a path to integrate him into the club, and it's probably going to end with a sale, and hopefully a sale that, you know, does okay for us, and we can just move on and wash our hands of this. I mean, Paul, do you do you see another outcome being more likely? And I want to be clear about something. I'm not saying what I described is the only outcome possible. Of course not. I'm saying that's the outcome I think seems most likely based on all the available information. Do you see it differently based on the available information? Not really. Um, I think your your opinion is pretty reflective of mine. I just would have said it in a kinder, nicer way. <laughs> well, of course you would, because you're a kinder, nicer, <laughs> gentle person. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that, but I like people to think I am. Mm, um, I look, I get that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's not going that great on my side. Uh, look, I think another French loan, um, like a Premier League loan, would be great if he were up for it. Uh, I think another French, like Marseille, a couple of things about, about Marseille. Um, they're used to a bit of rough and tumble in term, terms of their players. When you look at the players who came through there from Cantona to to um, uh, Nazri to like they have all these pre, uh, Ribery, they have all these pretty rough players who come through there. So I think Guendouzi, uh, let's just say he'll look like a pussycat to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he goes there, you'll have Saliba there. Um, maybe it's just coincidence that they're both going, um, but having people uh, maybe having a, a little bit of a, a common relationship there through one thing or another, even if they haven't seen much of each other. Um, I, I see Marseille as being a good move because it's obviously a top French side. It's one of the elite and historied clubs in the league, and he's still really, really young. Um and he just might not have been up for the Premier League himself. And so it's probably a reasonable compromise. I would have loved to have seen him come to the Premier League and start to prove himself there. But he's still so young in many ways. Uh, and like he might be physically uh, mature. He might be footballing wise getting pretty mature. But still, that's a young age. Uh, he might still be quite a bit of a kid in some ways. And ho- home environment that he understands a league he understands. I think one more year is fine and good, but I don't. I don't get any vibes that his relationship with Arsenal is such that, with or without Arteta at the helm, this turns into Saliba being an Arsenal player in the future. And I guess that's okay. I mean, it's like I, I was as caught up in the the new VVD hype as the rest of us enjoying that summer. Uh, I guess that was the summer of Raúl, unless I'm. Uh, mixing different summers together and it'll be disappointing that he didn't become everything we enjoyed and hoped but we had a fun summer thinking about it Um, and if he moves on to greener pastures and we get a good fee for him I mean uh, you know we're we're also in the horse trading uh, business and sad as it is you got to make the most practical decisions as you go along I don't get the vibe he'll end up being a storied Arsenal player at some stage in the future, which is sad, uh, but, you know, oh, well. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't always work out. And, I mean, this was a purchase from a previous regime. The purchase looks indefensible, really. And the reason I say that is not because he's not a good player. Like, think about this. If you identify a young, hot teenage talent and you're like, we got to get this guy and we got to get him right now and we got to pay a pretty big fee because if we don't, We'll miss him. He'll be at Madrid. He'll be at United. He'll be a 70 million player we can't get, 
you know, otherwise. So let's go get him now. Okay. If that's what you think of a player, you're not saying, then let's not play him for three years. Because if you don't think he's going to be ready in three years, you don't need to go get him now before he's at Madrid. You don't need to pay 34 million pounds, which is a rumored fee. He's also on 40,000 a week. Rob Holding's on 25,000 a week. So, I mean, it's not just that. It's the 10 million pound salary that, you know, he's, he's chewing up. And you do that because you say, if we don't do this now, we don't get this player later. We got to act fast. And, oh, by the way, there's nothing wrong with acting fast to get a player you think won't be available later. But that's not compatible, in my view, with then saying, no, no, be patient. He, he was young. He was never going to play for three years. Well, he's never going to play for three years. You weren't going to lose him to Madrid for $70 million in, in a summer. You know, you weren't going to lose him to United for $80 million in the summer. So, you know, I, I think we made a fast-acting, big-money decision on a player we thought was hugely talented and would eventually go supernova to get him early. Great. But then that's not really how we behaved with respect to his glide path coming into the club. And, and you know, all of this is just a way of saying that, like, I think the Saliba thing is over. We're going to have to move on from it. It was a big overpayment, probably, that Raul did. He could still turn out to be good. It is probably not going to be at Arsenal. And, like, that's just something we have to accept that the club have probably done. Could he kill it at Marseille, come back and be an Arsenal player? Sure. You'd probably have to sign him to a new deal if you're not going to sell him and seeing a scenario where Saliba would want to do that is hard for me. Uh, Paul, quick, quick point there before we, we sort of pivot this to more of a yeah. look at Ginduzi and the French market in general, because I think this has sort of an interesting potential knock-on effect. Yeah, while you were talking, I thought of another couple of things I would think on Saliba, which is we really do need to get him on loan in the Premier League if we want to get real money for him does anything like like if he's just playing away quietly in the French leagues I think we know how that goes we're not very good at getting money for players well the French league the French league League has sold you know big players for 50 million and 60 million and I mean you know it's it's a league where the talent tends to translate pretty well right it does but we're going in the opposite direction in a way um because that may you know that Let's just say I, I think if you're showcased in the Premier League at this stage um, and you prove yourself, that'll be where we get our money. Um, and like Ganduzi doesn't look like he learns much of a fee in, in on the continent if that's where he goes. I just I don't get the vibes that the answer to at this point, we, Saliba has come from the French leagues to us. And if he goes back to the French leagues and stays there and that's his shop window, I don't know. I just don't get that vibe. Um, The other side of it is you look at somewhere like Chelsea where they would have 30, 35 players out on loan developing them. And maybe Saliba needs to become our Chelsea uh, kind of human trafficking uh, situation where that's a player we have out on loan for a long time and we put him in the shop window to get a good fee for it and that's just we do a Chelsea on it um, it's not really in our DNA and it is in their DNA but we have a loan manager and maybe this is an opportunity for us to develop our skills to really generate revenue from a player who's alone look I would much prefer at the end of the day comes back to Arsenal and is a whopping great success I'm still have some emotional investment in that but it's so far beyond our control and our knowledge of what's going on there. I'll take a 
Arsenal learned how to put somebody in the shop window on loans and get a big fee for him. Mm. I I think the the Salib the problem with Saliba is that the debate becomes bound up in what you think of Arteta and are you committed to the perspective mm-hmm. that Arteta is an egomaniac who has <clears throat> personality conflicts? Are you committed to the idea that Arsenal are a dumb club that does dumb things? And Saliba becomes a, a reference point for all these opinions, a, a way of sort of propping them up. And I, I don't know that that, wor- that makes any sense for anyone. If we just look at it independently, it is a deal that clearly the current regime is not as bullish on as the prior regime. And it may be the case, because two things can be true. There's the bingo mug again. Um, two things can be true that the prior regime did overspend on Saliba and also that the current regime has botched the handling of a very talented young player. Those two things can be true. Um, but we'll find out. I mean, in the fullness of time, all will be revealed uh just before the asteroid hits. Clive, the thing that I think is interesting, though, is now Ganduzi is going there as well. So first of all, I'm sure that Ganduzi will be a positive influence on Saliba in terms of Mikel Arteta and Arsenal and his future there. It looks like a loan with a compulsory 10 million euro option. There is something remarkable to me about Matteo Ganduzi as a teenager playing 4,000 Premier League minutes and being sold for just about less or the same as we paid for him, with inflation really less than we paid for him. It is a pretty remarkable situation. And there's a couple things to unpack here. The first is to just be clear that, I mean, Genduzi has a huge amount of blame to shoulder here on the um, on the fact that he's leaving Arsenal. I, I don't want to dispute that. I do want to get your take on whether you think the way this scenario has played out is generally not you know, not something we had any control over or something we could have managed better. How do you feel about him going there, that fee, and sort of how this this very talented but very troubled young player who who has already played a lot of Premier League minutes at a young age is leaving in, in such a unprofitable way? Yeah, before we got him, we heard he's a bit spiky. Oh, yeah. You know, he had some troubles at his previous clubs. Then he came to Arsenal and uh, was fine under Emery and then not so good. Um, not that good, and a bit spiky on one of the pre. I think is in Dubai. There's a big issue there with Arsenal. He goes to Hertha Berlin, and they have problems there as well. Rumored to be, he does does okay, but doesn't actually smash it. He basically, you know, it was on the bench towards the end of the season, got back in. So he basically, unlike those England players, he's not exactly a wonderful role model, right? So um, so he's. He's let himself down. He's just tanked his own value. And uh, from the playing side of things, you know, I was speaking on Discord the other day. I, you know, I really liked him when he first got here as a young player. You know, really lots of personality, lots of... He looked, didn't look shy at all. Really wanted to come here and do something. Not everyone does that. Not everyone, not everyone feels good in the Arsenal shirt. And he really showed a lot of that. And they start to dissect his game and dissect, you know, what he can't do. And, and it... I thought to myself, you know what, you're not, you know, are you going to take us where we need to go? You know, do you do you score? Do you assist? Do you protect? Or do you just get on the ball dramatically? And I don't think there's enough to his game after you analyse over a period of time. And and it's a shame. But like you said, you know, like you said many times, if you if you speculate at a certain price, at a certain number, at a certain age, you might not make money, but you're not going to lose too much. I think Arsenal might break even on this one. But I suppose in the back of our minds, it's all about 
what could have been in sort of those early days. It, well, I think people had a higher thought process around them, including myself. But there you go. It didn't work out. No big deal. No big deal. I think it's just a matter of failing fast, Elliot. Fail fast. Get them out. Move on. Another player will come around the corner real quick and we'll soon forget about it. Yeah. And I will say, uh, I think you've made a lot of really good points there. Technology permitting. <laughs> <laughs> so so we'll, we'll we'll say that I I do have to say this gives me nostalgia for the old days when Clive was spitting immense uh, wisdom into the cup and string internet and and I am in a glass house I realize because I had cup and string internet for a long time as well too so just a little bit of nostalgia for you long term listeners long time listeners there um, the the thing though Tim that I think is interesting with the Ganduzi point is Ganduzi is clearly a talented and troubled player. I think it is possible yeah. that that there was no situation that Arsenal could... I'm not sure what the scenario would have been for Arsenal to protect the value of a player who seems to be really difficult to manage in this way. I still think Ganduzi could go on and have a big career to wind up at a Champions League club to, to really, quote, make it. But it may be the case that he's someone who has to mature for that to happen and letting him mature while he's sort of a toxic influence on our club is not necessarily something we want to do, but I want to sort of get your opinion on the Ganduzi thing, but also sort of take a slightly different perspective, which is simply when you look at Kamavinga, an 18 year old, huge, immense talent going to Manchester United at a pretty reasonable fee. If the rumors are true and people saying, Oh, he should come to Arsenal and say, why would he come to Arsenal? Well, we can offer him minutes. We can offer him playing time. To what extent have we maybe poisoned the well in France a bit with a big fee for Saliba and no path to playing and really having made him less valuable in three seasons. And then Genduzi, a player we gave immense time to, and then tanked his value. I mean, players earning windows are short. Their careers are short. We haven't really done well by those players, even if, again, that's not the club's fault. But to what extent do you think the Genduzi situation and the Saliba situation are bad for business in the French market? Yeah, um, I mean, quite possibly. I, I'd probably throw Lacazette in there as well. Mm, um, interesting one, you know. Mm -hmm. Like not terrible, but hasn't got his place back, has he? In the um, in the French international team, probably hasn't. Like I mean, his age dictates a lot of his value now. But I mean, he never really increased his value, did he? He was never really linked with moves away to to bigger clubs, and and overall, probably not a transfer that's worked brilliantly for him. However, it just depends on how much stock you put on, um, you know, certain markets, as it were. Like, do people care that it's like that there have been a couple of young french talents who haven't made it whereas there are some british talents who are currently making it and a brazilian talent who um could well make it how much stock happens in those things i think the interesting thing for me with Genduzi, i mean uh, really a lot of his value is tanked on loan i think i think if he'd have torn it up at hertha berlin i think his value would have been fine i think people will tolerate um attitude uh, when it comes to if, if you've got undoubted quality and and i think that that's one of the issues for Genduzi that he just didn't do that. Like there, there, there were reports of him falling out with with the manager, but oh, there, but not quite to the same extent as we've seen um, in his career before. Mm. However, I I think one of the really interesting things, and Clive kind of touched on it there. I think people don't know what to make of him as a player. And I think this is happening now, um, you know, with this kind of, I mean, not recent, but this move to midfield threes. Everyone loves the defensive midfielder. People love the destroyer because they do something 
quite obvious um you know people look at the love like N'Golo Kante gets and and I think he's more than a midfield destroyer but that's what people identify with with him because it's really obvious and everyone loves you know the quote-unquote DM everyone loves a number 10 uh, when they turn it on because they contribute to the attack it's that middle pin those players when you look around those players are really quite underappreciated um you know you look at players like Fredge for Manchester United and Kovacic at Chelsea and you know quite and even probably before this season Gundogan and the only reason Gundogan maybe came out of that a bit is because he started scoring lots of goals and so I, I do think there's something about those kind of middle pins in a midfield three that people don't know what to make of and the, the thing with Gendouzi is I like I think he looked really really good a lot of that is just down to his level of confidence mm. um, for, for a player his age. But I couldn't put a value on what he actually brings, if that makes sense. Like, good progressive passer, confident taking the ball off centre-backs and things like that. But, you know, how much is that really worth in the grand scheme of things? Um, you know, it's it's worth it's worth quite a bit to coaches, I think. But I'm just not sure those are the players that, that break banks. Um you know, again, like Chelsea, Chelsea play Kovacic there and Kovacic is perfectly fine, serviceable player. But I'm not sure anyone spends big money on that player, to be honest. Yeah, but Would you know, Wijnaldum fit in the category too? Like there's a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 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 had a very specialised job at Liverpool. And what's really interesting, I spoke with Phil about this actually on one of the Euro 2020 dailies. He has a completely different role for Netherlands where he's every inch like an attacking number 10 type but for Liverpool he has a very specific or had a very specific you know pick up clearances and keep teams under pressure kind of job role um which yeah maybe that's and many it. Maybe, people wondered what it is he does that's so great that he always gets yeah. picked he's just like out there doing stuff yeah yeah exactly I I, I wonder if these are um you know, yeah, they're, they're quite coaches players, but I do also wonder if there's just quite a lot of players that can probably do that because of the lack of specificity. Mm. I, here's the thing that I think is so weird, though. Is, uh, Ganduzi played 2,150 minutes at 19 years old for Arsenal in the Premier League in central midfield, and people are like, oh, you know, he's got these flaws. And I'm like, of course he does. He's 19. Like, realize when you're evaluating Bukayo Saka, Bukayo Saka, let's be clear, he hasn't done anything yet that makes him a 100 million pound player. He hasn't scored 10 Premier League goals. He hasn't provided 10 Premier League assists. What he's done is he's shown at 18 a level of skill and quality and end product that as we project to what he could be, <clears throat> screams superstar. And I, I just feel like the thing that's weird about Ganduzi is I was always to, oh, he goes down too easily or sometimes he dawdles on the ball. And I'm like, well, again, much like with Saka, we're looking at a very talented ball progressor, with a big frame who can step past the defender and is pretty intercepty at 18 in the Premier League, and we're projecting what he could be. But with Genduzi, there was a lot more desire, I think, to focus on the things that weren't good about his game, which I think is a little weird at that age because that's not usually how we evaluate talent at that age. The issue with right. his attitude... Yeah, absolutely. I want to I bring in here. I'll just finish this one point. The issue with his attitude is simply this. I am looking at this to say, is this a Genduzi problem or does it become an Arsenal problem? So, for example... If Ganduzi's just a jerk and he's toxic and we couldn't have him around, he's not good enough to keep him around as toxic as he is, that's one thing. What happens if Martinelli starts to get a little chirpy this season, a little um, impatient for playing time? 
Do we start to alienate Martinelli? Do we lose Martinelli for 10 million euro? Because then, then you're gut, gutting the club. Then you have a problem because th- these are big talent, young players that are supposed to provide the resources for building your squad or be in the squad for years to come. So with Ganduzi, I'm willing to say problem player. I just now want to keep an eye out and say, is there is there a pattern here that we start to worry about of how we handle talented young people who maybe, you know, attitude wise aren't always the perfect school child, so to speak. Clive, you want to, you want to come back in? Yeah, so it's interesting you picked on Martinelli. So just say Martinelli, just get chirpy. Do you think we're going to say him for 10 million quid? Or, or do you I, think it's going to be a big market for him? Well, so again, I, I, I certainly hope not. And I would think, I think there would be um, a very big, yes, he is better than Ganduzi and would probably exactly. have a bigger market than Ganduzi. I'm saying watching how we would manage a challenge with another very talented young player, admittedly a more talented young player, will be interesting to me now in light of this kind of experience to see, was it just that player who was toxic or do we potentially have a, a man management issue? I'm not saying we do. I'm saying that will be the next thing to keep an eye out for is sort of my point. Yeah. Football only, only care about attitudes up to a certain point. If you're a good player, trust me, you will play, and you will play in many different clubs. If you can save jobs, if you can make a coach look good, you will play. And the reason why Grandus is not getting the market value that we thought he did have is that he's he has limits to his game which do not allow him to get, in my opinion, to really excel and reach a high ceiling. And a lot of that is based in his ability to move, in his movement and the pace by which he does move. He may need to go to a different a different league, maybe Italy, for example, or some of the Spanish leagues where it's a little bit more, you drop uh, you drop away and we can play here from this place. In an up and down league, I, I, I think he struggles a bit. I think he will. And um, Wijnaldum's a great example. Wijnaldum's made a career based on his movement. And he can move and go all day. That means you can play him deep, you can play him high, you can play him in a three. It doesn't matter. His movement and his dynamism allows you to do different things with him. Goof Granduzzi, I remember you, you're the first one to say, maybe he can play as a 10. What you're really saying was, could we hide him up there? Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what I was saying. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's got it. a good and eye for a pass. He can't run. <laughs> exactly, he can't run. There you go. You've nailed it. And so that's it. Positional discipline, discipline is weak. The ability to step past people and not fall on the ball is, is indifferent. And so... You know, his assist rate is not great. He doesn't really score, can't really shoot, not very good in the air. Once you break it all down, he just becomes a really nice young player that needs to go to the next step. And when you start talking about him as an adult, then you realize actually the market tells you exactly who you are and this is who he is right now. And he's got he's got the work to do. His attitude for me, that's just, that just allowed him to go on loan and he's messed up his opportunity at Arsenal. But if he was a good player, trust me, Arsenal will sweep it. I'd, I'd, sweep say, it. I'd say two things to that about the market. The, we're prisoners to, to the market in this one respect. Selling inside the Premier League, you can get bumper fees, but you better have a real good player to sell. Selling outside the Premier League, all the clubs are skint. No one's going to pay a Premier League wage. And so, you know, like 10 million euro is a big fee for a mid-table team in, in other leagues. Like the Mavropanos fee looks like chump change to us, but for Stuttgart, it's one of their bigger wages and one of their bigger fees, right? So you're you're prisoner to that. The other thing I'll say about Ganduzi that's interesting is I think Ganduzi came on the scene and looked amazing right away. I actually think it's the best he played. I think since then he's gotten worse. And that's his fault. So yeah, I mean I think if he if he had developed at the trajectory he looked like he was on when he first arrived, I think he'd have a very special player. But he didn't, in my view. I think he actually 
kind of went backwards, which is probably a, a mindset thing, a, a testament to the fact that maybe he hasn't been putting the work in and hasn't been the serious professional he needs to be. <clears throat> and I, I want to be clear about my whole keeping an eye out for how we manage these situations in the future. I'm not drawing a conclusion about how we'll manage them. I'm saying I'd, I'd like to keep an eye on it because I think it'll be interesting. You know, you said, hey, if you're a good player and you can save jobs, you'll play. I mean, Mikel Arteta benched Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for a North London derby because he was late. And not the first time, I imagine. Now, there are a lot of people that think that, that that was absolutely the right move. There are a lot of people that think that was unnecessarily pedantic or, you know, officious. But, like, it worked. It all seemed to work out. Everything's good. But it's the point that we know this guy is willing to make an example of anyone if they are not doing the thing they need to do. And, and that can be great for culture. Or it can become a problem depending on, you know, whether there's no flexibility within that framework. So, we'll see. I, I think... I think it'll be interesting to see how we do in the French market in light of what's gone on. But let's do this. Let's take a quick break to straighten your teeth because why wouldn't you want to do that with like clear aligners that start working in like a couple of months? Yes, please. So we'll tell you about Candid and then uh, we'll come back and talk more about the rumor mill and and so on and so forth. I will tell you that if you want um, any of the stuff we have at the shop, you can go to arsenalvisionpodcast.com forward slash shop or click on the shop link and it'll take you right to the shop. I want to thank Brandon McKenna again for just, the design work, which is exceptional. And he came up with mugs for each one of us, which is kind of fun and, and shirts for each one of us as well. And uh, you'll never guess what Paul says. Paul, what does yours say? Welcome. Exactly. We'll be back after this. Stay with us. There's a specialist for just about everything, right? When my car breaks down, I go to a mechanic. When there's a problem with my shower, I call a plumber when I shower. So when you want to get your uneven, crooked teeth fixed, you see an orthodontist. They're the specialists. And that's what sets Candid, the invisible, comfortable, and removable aligners above the rest. While poorly reviewed or insanely priced clear aligner companies use general dentists, Candid only works with orthodontists. And with Candid, the same orthodontist who created your plan is with you from start to finish, so you never have to wonder how you're doing. Your treatment is prescribed and closely monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement. You can book an appointment at a Candid studio near you or do everything from the comfort and convenience of your own home. The average Candid treatment is just six months. You'll start seeing results way before that, and it costs thousands less than traditional braces. And with your aligner treatment, you'll even get Candid's teeth whitening free. Candid can help you get the straighter, brighter smile you've always wanted. Right now, you can save $75 on your Candid starter kit when you get started from home. Go to candidco.com slash vision and use code vision. That's candidco.com slash vision, code vision. Candidco.com slash vision, code vision. Take advantage of this limited time offer to save. Okay, we're back uh, picking out the the bits and pieces uh, from the rumor mill, from the transfer market, from from what's going on. Uh, Tim, just real quick, uh, bingo up again. Uh, do you do you have the fear yet? You know, uh, preseason getting ready to start. Nobody in, nobody out. I mean, <laughs> so, some people out to be fair, but uh, s- still feeling okay. Still plenty of time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean, to be fair, that that isn't really plenty of time when you think about it because um yeah tuesday is the first preseason friendly against hibs and then it's a month till the first game but a i think it is clear that there is a lot happening in the background and that they're not just twiddling their thumbs doing nothing um and b you know usually at moments like this you kind of look around and say well what else has been done but the other reason i'm quite calm about it is just because i was under no illusion that we were going to be able to sell players um, very, very quickly at all. 
um, it was always going to be a slog because of the market. It usually is anyway. Like there, there is never a good market for the players that you don't want. But this summer, more than ever, there is not a good market for that. That's just um, it's just a fact of, of wage inflation in the Premier League. When you're a club like Arsenal and you buy players, you get them on big salaries. If they don't work out, you can't shift. It's really hard to shift them. So I, I was never under any illusion that it would be that much different. But it does sound like, like I, I think in the next fortnight or so, quite a few things will drop. I think a lot of these windows, especially where Arsenal shop, are dependent on dominoes falling with slightly bigger moves, right? So you still mm-hmm. have Kane and Grealish and Holland and Camavinga and Sancho, all these, you know, the sort of big dominoes in Camavinga's case, I guess, big reputationally. Um, the Sancho domino has fallen. Some of these other ones maybe going to and I think once that starts to happen that frees up cash and frees up needs and players can move I mean could that mean you know we find a home for Lacazette or there's a there's a midfielder that becomes surplus to requirements I I think you want Arsenal to be a good balance of planned and opportunistic you know the Ozil signing is the classic opportunistic signing we we ran that window right to the deadline and it probably would have looked like a catastrophic window and Ozil becomes available at the end, and it winds up being a celebration. So <clears throat> there's a lot that can still happen. I wonder, is your concern level elevated at all on the central midfielder front, though? Because a party partner has sort of been bandied about as the most important thing we need to do. It still looks like Shaka will leave, I would think. And mm. the only really strong link right now, weird as it sounds, is Locatelli. And I just cannot get my head around the idea that he's going to go anywhere but Juventus. So... Do you worry, is it paper talk? Are Arsenal being led down the primrose path by a player and not being savvy to realize it's not going to happen? Could it happen? I mean, what do you think about the central midfield position we need to fill and and where Locatelli fits into that plan? Yeah, sure. With with, uh, Locatelli, I I mean, like you, I'd be surprised if it happened, but also I think Arsenal should very much have their hat in that ring um, and should make themselves a contender um, at least. Um, but with the overall midfield picture, I mean, it looks like, like Lukonga looks to me like one of those dominoes that's going to fall. And don't get me wrong, I, I think I don't think Lukonga is the Xhaka replacement per se. Maybe they think he will be in the long term. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of quote unquote big midfield signing isn't quite there yet. And we've heard some stuff about Neves as well. And that, that seems to have died down. I'm, I'm not worried about it yet because again, I am certain there is stuff going on in the background there and they're working through probably a bit of a list in terms of targets. And, and these things just turn around so quickly. Like I know we, we get all the information about all the transfers, but um, we only get the information when we get the information, if that makes sense. It doesn't mean we get the information on the first day they're happening. Like on, I don't know, June the 1st, nobody knew that Ben White was a potential target for Arsenal until we knew. And that's actually been going on for a little while. Um, but that's kind of OK because we know about it. And it's like, OK, so we're trying to sign a defender for, you know, roughly somewhere between 40 and 50 million pounds there. Right. OK we get that whereas on midfield it's perhaps been a little bit quieter it fr- from the scraps we have it does look to me like they are working through a list maybe they've passed on Neves because of price I don't know maybe they need the Ben White deal to drop so they know exactly how much and maybe they need some other things to drop so they know exactly how much money they 
they're playing with. It is quite possible they've gone to Wolves, for example, and said, how much do you want for Neves? They've quoted a price and we've said, okay, we, we've got to go away and do some stuff and we'll come back to you in a fortnight and let you know if we've got the money for it or, or, or you know, there, there could be any number of things going on. So, I, I mean, they will be after a central midfielder just by dint of numbers they will be after a central midfielder. I'm not worried that they're not on that case. Um, I just think there's probably either some dominoes need to fall or maybe just some stuff that we don't know yet. This time next week, Elliot, we will probably be talking in depth about um, you know, the emerging midfield target who we're ready to spend 45 million on and we'll be doing scouting videos on them and, and things like that. Like, I, it, it will probably change very quickly. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I, I think the... The issue that we've touched on a lot, probably more than even necessary, this window is the order of our business may be leading people to be more worried about it than is necessary, or it may be leading people to be the right amount of worried if it reflects the business we feel we have to do and other businesses' business we don't have to do uh, vis-a-vis like central midfield, maybe right back, the number 10 position. Paul, I just want to touch on this quickly. Aston Villa keep coming back for Smithrow. And a weird sort of debate developed that I didn't expect to develop on social media, but I think it is a really interesting one. I think it's one that could be fun to just touch on for a minute and see where y'all stand on it, which is not so much will Aston Villa get Smith Rowe, because I really, really, really don't believe it. But more of a, at what price does it make sense to smell to smell Smith Rowe? I mean, for $5, I'd smell Smith Rowe. I bet he smells great. <laughs> but uh, but but putting his his odor aside, ode to Smith Rowe, that kind of kind odoro, odoro, there you go. Emil, you can pay me for that later. Um, oh, Jesus, will this ever end? Set, setting aside Odoro, let me get to my question. Um, <laughs> do you? How do you evaluate who you can sell a, a talented young academy player to who's just breaking through? How do you evaluate what the price is? Is there a price? I mean, these. it is easy to say every player should be sold at a price, but you're going to be shocked to hear me say, I'm not sure that's always true. So assuming this isn't going to happen, is there a point at which you think it should? Well, this feels very much like a, at what price would you sell your soul? Um, you just like. I mean, it, I, I have it, a price for that, by the way, if you're making me an offer. <laughs> yeah, well, just so you, we're clear. <laughs> yes, uh, I think it's clear you did that some time ago, so you probably know the going rate, but that oh, was before yes. the COVID market, so it's very difficult to yeah. adjust that. I, I undersold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they generally do. Yeah. Um, Look, his his buddy has just been out there riding a unicorn, and Smithrow is like spiritually, he's the same for us. Like you just you just can't. Now it is very interesting. Like originally, I thought, well, this is mostly agent talk, and there still may be quite a bit of agent talk. Except by now, Aston Villa would not want to be associated with it if it was agent talk. They've had, you know, second, third time around, big numbers been mentioned. Nobody really contradicting it. Aston Villa must be serious about it. Now, maybe they have their own reasons for being in if they think it's a long shot. They want to be able to show uh, their supporters while they work out what they do um, that when they sell uh, Jack Grealish, they were doing everything they could to find the next Jack Grealish. But it still feels like they they think there's a chance here, a far, far north of non-zero chance that they can get him. I don't see it. Um, I don't know that there's like there's a price you could sell everybody, but I just don't see that 
that the disconnect between what another club would offer uh, in all sanity for Smith Rowe and what a club like Arsenal, who prides itself on developing the the Sackas, the Smith Rows, like at times the only good things about the club last year were those two fellas. I like you could sell Martinelli, which would be a travesty and terrible and awful and stuff. Uh, and he may well be more talented than all of these guys, maybe not. Um, but you could spiritually, that would not be selling your soul. It, it'd feel quite like it, but it wouldn't be selling Smith Rowe or uh, Saka. All that is good and pure like the driven snow. You just couldn't do it as a club for anything south of, I don't know. Let's let's pick a number, shall we? Mm-hmm. Um in our mind, let's all visualize the number at which you would say, yes, I understand why the club sold him. For me, it's probably going to have to be 55, 60 million. Mm. I don't have a number. 50? I don't have a number. I, I don't, which is going to shock you. I don't think I, there's any price at which selling Emil Smith-Rowe makes any sense. And and for anybody who's listened to me talk on this podcast, say that runs afoul of everything you've suggested. Player value, you know, valuations, getting money in. I think there's another point here, though. The reason you have players is to win football matches, not to balance the books and to win titles and to win trophies. And so there are some players that at a certain juncture in time, there is no benefit to moving them on. If we got 80 million pounds for Emil Smith-Rowe, that buys us James Madison and a, and a prospect from league on. Do I want to make that move? I don't, because James Madison right now is a pretty good Premier League player, and Emil Smith-Rowe is a pretty good Premier League player who could become absolutely elite. He is also and an Ligue academy 1. player. He's what also, is it good for? What was that? Ligue Was it good what for? What is it good for? Well, apparently to us, absolutely nothing. Say it again. Yeah. But, but you know, if you think about this for a second, here's the other point. Your academy kids are on reasonable wages. I mean, Saka's wage right now is like 10000 a week. Now, we're going to up that. But even if you have to up Smith Rowe to 60000 a week, and then you replace him with James Madison. Madison at 60 million pounds is going to want 140 a week. So you, your academy kids, A, are more likely to stay loyal and stay with you. Just look at Balogun, who stayed when there was no really clear reason why he needed to. Your academy kids are more likely to you know, have an investment in your project, to be someone you're not paying over the odds for because you didn't pay a monster fee to get them. And they're still developing. His ceiling is still growing. So my point with Smith Rowe is... Let this guy be the anchor of the project we are building. Anyone we replace him with is either going to be much more expensive as a wage later in their development, most likely, not at the level we think he could reach. There's just no point in doing it. Same with Saka, same with Martinelli. Once you have affordable, young bones of a squad, let it marinate, let it develop. And so to me, and then there's another point, and this is more of a culture point, and I realize this one's less important, but like, if Manchester City come off you 100 million pounds for Emil Smith-Rowe and he wants to go at some point, you you lose the, the control of the situation. Arsenal Football Club cannot be selling very valuable, very uh, needed academy talent to Aston Villa. We can't have Aston Villa coming and taking our young, Welcome. talented, future star 10 off of us and making him part of their project. That can't happen. Clive, so I mean, I, I wonder, 
it sounds silly. You know, I mean, someone had said, would you swap Grealish for Smith Rowe? It's a slightly different thing, right? Because you're you're basically saying, you know, one for one, you get the finished product right now versus the, the growth. But I'm not sure I would for all the reasons I just stated. So maybe I'm out of my mind here. I just don't think Arsenal Football Club can have their prized academy talent being plucked away by Aston Villa and become a part of their project. That's not good for where we want to go. Yeah, you won't find a disagreement here. <laughs> I think uh, I think we all agree violently. I think you know what annoys <laughs> it's me. It's better than this? than the opposite. Yeah. What annoys me about this whole thing is they they're coming with a bit of thirty million, and okay, it's paper tour, right? It's not sure to believe, and they're coming back with another bit of thirty two and a half. For me, the second bid. That needs. I need to get into a truck and drive it through the front door, right? Because it's just that's they're just that's the bit that annoys me. That's the bit that makes me think your perception of us is not very, very strong, you know. So, and your perception of this player's quality is not very strong because you'd have to triple it for me to get interested, you know. Seriously, it. I think sometimes you you operate your club in a certain way. It is incredibly difficult to find two talents within a year of each other, like Saka and Smith Rowe, and to be so potentially good and in your first team. It doesn't happen every minute. And you don't give that away because it sends a message that's just not where you should be. We're looking at other players like, like Nelson and Ketia. Obviously, Ketia came a little bit later in his life, but Nelson potentially reached a plateau. And you think to yourself, you know what, I'm... I can see that we need. They need to play. They're at a stage. They're at an age. They need to play. They need to feel part of something. Maybe the same for Maitland Niles as well. So I'm not against selling these guys, but this guy, we haven't seen the best of yet. He's had a very sort of a injury-riddled career, and he's had a good loan. He's come back in, been really, really influential, and his true influence and what he can do for our sort is down the road. So you hold it. You send the other team on their way. It may mean a change in how we build that number 10. Because I was thinking there's two, maybe three signings. The centre-back, I did think we need a centre-back. Uh, the centre-midfielder, first 11 pick, and maybe a number 10. Tim Mason convinced me we may have to stick on the right-back. I, I would have liked to right-back as well. But you know what, looking at it, you think yourself, are we going to sell another of two of the three right-backs? I don't think so. So we may have to stick there. But maybe we look at the number 10 position and say, you know what, between Willock and Smithrow, um, we're going we're gonna to go with it. We're going to rotate that. We're going to have different types of 10. We're going to have the, the Ramsey-shaped 10, who does an 8-10 and runs past the centre forward in Willock, and have a wide, a wide diamond, wide triangle 10 that goes horizontally across the pitch and creates overloads and bang shots from the half spaces. And then Smithrow, and, and, and that may work, you know, you can say, well, how are you going to get fourth with two kids of that kind? And maybe you, maybe that's a good valid point. But I'd, I'd rather, I would rather fail that way than see a kid leave or some, something happen that made that kid want to leave. Because I think he's got a real, real star, star future. I think like doing things that are good for the club aren't always just about doing things that are economically sensible. Because the goal isn't profit. The goal is victory. And there are a lot of ways to get to victory. And so, like, people might think, well, you're hypocritical because you want us to move on Willock, not you, me. But, like, I want us to move on Willock because in my evaluation, he's not good enough for where we want to go. We've seen that. 
and he's at an all-time high in value right now. So selling a player that isn't going to hit the level you want at a price that's higher than it's ever going to be, that to me is good process. Selling a player that is on the up that you feel can get to not just the level you want to go to, but help take you up a level to Aston Villa when you don't need to sell so that you then have to go spend a fortune to replace. That to me feels like bad process, Paul. Yeah, look, we got to take the compliment out of this. Sometimes we really value a player and nobody else seems to want him. This kid's like, what's Smith Rowe now, 21? Um, 2021, and here's Aston Villa uh, not denying in any strenuous form that they're coming after him in a season in which they may have to sell Grealish. By the way, he's That's 20, he'll good. be 21 in uh, three weeks. <clears throat> okay, good. Um, let's not argue over it, though. Um, well, well, he is closer to 21. No, yeah, yeah. So, but here's another little uh, twist. So I was watching a Leeds United game uh, the other night um, with uh, our friend Ben White in it as a DM against Huddersfield when both, uh, well, when, when uh, our friend Smith Rowe was playing basically as their 10. And it was fascinating because Ben White's only job in that game was to man mark Smith Rowe wherever he went. He didn't really play as a DM. He wasn't doing the Calvin Phillips role of distribution. He literally man marked Smith Rowe. I think Smith Rowe played about 75 minutes because they were still protecting him to some degree. Like there's another massive compliment to a player that they decided the way to be Huddersfield who were on the up at that stage was to take Smith Rowe out of the game. Now Smith Rowe is still did some stuff and still had a game. But like you start to get the idea we got a very special player here. We know we got one with Saka. Everybody else is telling us that. If your players are good, the rest of the league starts to tell you that real quick. So I think we're I think it's wonderful. We'll have to pay him more than we wanted to. Maybe it'll push him forward in terms of the thinking in the club. That they may have to make commitments to him that he's even more firmly that he's going to get played. It's all good. It's all good. Mm. I, Tim, I, maybe you can settle the debate where everybody is agreeing. Um, <laughs> I, I think there, I know there are going to be people listening to this who maybe have sided with me on squad building philosophies in the past who are saying you're out of your mind. You know, if, if Villa offer $100 million for Emma Smith-Rowe, you, you sell Emma Smith-Rowe, every player is a price. I mean, look at Liverpool. They built their current Champions League and title winning team by selling Coutinho for a record fee. But what I would say is, yeah, they sold Coutinho, a player who's basically in his prime at 26 years old and really knew what he was about to a club Barcelona that maybe they couldn't have kept him from anyway and use those funds to, to buy the pieces they need to win a title. But they didn't sell Trent Alexander-Arnold, right? Yeah. Didn't sell him. And he's been as important a piece as any to, to the team that they built. And what would they have been without TAA, right? What, what would they have done there? Would they have still been as successful as they were? I mean, you need some big sales to generate the cash to go ahead and buy the things you need. We haven't been great at that, admittedly. But you do need academy kids to come through, be connected to the club, be more affordable so you can put those wages other places and 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 help be part of your process. I think the the hard part for me, especially as I look at what it costs to get Premier League players right now, I mean, you could say, look, sell Emma Smith-Rowe for $100 million. Buy Hasim Awar for $25 million. And then you got 75 million pounds to go off and and buy a right back and buy a central midfielder and, and your project is done. And there is a sound argument to that. 
But I still think when you have Smith, Rose, Saka, Martinelli, you know, the bones of a future successful team that's all in its teens or exiting its teens on reasonable wages, really strongly connected to the club and ready to be part of your future. And you've started to pad that out with other really exciting young players who have tied down their future, like Tierney and stuff. The goal isn't to start over with the young components. The goal is to start to move out the Shakas, the Obamiangs, you know, the David Luizes and the Hector Bellerins and 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 replace those positions. So I just feel like you're mo- almost moving sideways when you start talking about shifting Smith Rose. But maybe, maybe I am wrong. I mean, maybe, you know, if, if Villa came, I think part of the problem, and then I will let you talk, sorry, is it's not 100 million. They're offering 30 something million and people are saying, well, what if it gets to 50? Well, 50 still is just shy of a James Madison. And to me, that swap at this point in our process doesn't make any sense. So I guess I would amend it, Tim, to say, sure, if they want to give us 120 million, yeah, you can build a whole squad with that. But this this player at these kind of prices, all you're doing is is starting over, really. Yeah, absolutely. the 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 most compelling argument is is really the economic one because if you like, we need another number ten. We don't need to sell the, yeah, the only one exactly. we've got. So if we sell Smith Rowe for 50 million, how much does it cost to replace him and to buy the other like number 10 creative player we need? That, that's why 100 million is the only price I'd even start to think about it. Um, even leaving aside the stuff that you know that you mentioned there and the fact that it's Villa, um, I, I think what's what's really interesting here though is what is I, what I'm more interested here. Well, so I'm interested in why a Villa doing this and what are they getting out of it because yeah. they they can't think that 32.5 million is going to get this player like what are they is it just something with the agent because this who this is working really well for is smith rowe and his agent um which is fine by the way because the more you come into these discussions and it's well you just turned you unequivocal unequivocally turned down 32.5 million so you're showing us how much you deem the value the the value of the player in the transfer market so his wages have to correlate with that and if you're saying you won't do business at like 40 50 million that puts a premium on him in terms of salary and and his agent should do that that's his job mm. um but also the i think the other thing that's interesting here that that potentially complicates the smith row contract talks because this this doesn't sound to me like it's been as smooth as everyone has said that it would be and because the other thing that might complicate the talks about this, so, okay, so we're going to buy another number 10, right? But yeah. what caliber of number 10? Are we buying James Madison, who might at this point start ahead of Smith Rowe? Or are we buying, you know, someone to back Smith Rowe up? Are we buying someone to compliment him? Like there will be a lot in there at the moment. And again, the player and his agent should be asking these questions about about fit because it's one thing for Smith Rowe to come in and play every game in the team that finished eighth, but we don't want to be the team that finished eighth anymore. We want to be the team that finishes, you know, at least in the top four. So if Arsenal want to become that kind of team, then what does the squad look like? Like essentially to not break into the Arsenal team as a number 10 last season when there was literally nobody else playing that position other than like Meza Ozil, um, who, kind of become professional troll at that point like that you know you've got to be breaking into the team if you're if you're a good young talent so there is like a question about what his kind of future role is and to what extent can Arsenal say yep you're our guy number 10 next four years here's your contract when when you kind of know that Arsenal are also on the market and maybe they're looking at our maybe they're looking at Odegaard 
Um, you know, maybe they had a look at Buendia and things like that. And and so that potentially complicates the, the, the contract talks. And then if you're Arsenal, what kind of number 10 do you buy? Like, I, I think we definitely need one, but I would veer towards not spending like 60 million on a James Madison. I'd, I'd probably go a bracket below that in the transfer market and have someone to compete with and support Smith Rowe, if that makes sense. But then that might be a hard sell for that player, that, that hypothetical player, when you say, well, actually, this is how we see your role. So there are a few balls up, up in the air here, which which make things difficult for Arsenal in terms of the contract. I, I really don't see Villa's interest being of any interest to Arsenal until it, it starts to go into like the at least the 70, 80 million range. I wouldn't even do business at that. So the the, the question I think is mainly about the contract and the second con the second question is really what are Villa getting out of this? Is this is this just a favour to an agent, maybe in return for another player that that agent has? Yeah, because again, I mean. This is why I thought Hassim Awar was such a an interesting option because the fee quoted has gotten so reasonable for a player with elite underlying metrics, but who doesn't have to come in and be great right away. Um, you know, and Smith- I think he's quite Smith Rowey. Yeah. In yeah. terms of his style, they're they're that kind of vertical running, pinging. I'll level with you. If we don't do a number 10, if we don't do attacking mid this window, I actually don't mind. Like, I think we started this window being like, it's got to be Buendia, Awar, or Odegaard. And I've kind of come around to the idea that, nah, you know what? Like, Smithrow, Martinelli, Saka, Smithrow, Saka, Pepe, Smithrow, Pepe, Martinelli. Like, like those... Except I don't see him lasting a full... Like, he's still got to factor in the the fitness, injury, yeah. form. But, but it's, a less, it's a less crowded yeah. season. He'll have had a full summer off. I guess what I'm saying is... If we decide to let it ride on Smith Road this season, it's less of a gamble and less of a problem for me than if we, you know, for example, don't go get a center mid. So yep. I, I, I guess my, my argument ultimately is when you have young, affordable, academy talent that looks like it can be elite, the window to sell isn't right as they're breaking into the team because you, you're you just learning about what you have and you're just starting your process with them. And when I, I look at some of the things that are happening for teams like Chelsea with Mason Mount and Liverpool with Trent Alexander-Arnold and, you know, United with Rashford and Green, Greenwood, you know, looks like another guy who could be like that. And, you know, what Kane did for, for Spurs. I mean, I, Spurs have won literally nothing, so that's a bad example. Uh, but, you know, we, we now have... Two players like that from our academy, and if you want to count Martinelli, you know, as a young player coming through, three, don't change that. That's not the thing to change. Go change the Shakas and the Bellerins and the, the Lacazettes and Aubameyangs and build around them. I, I think we should just get out of here, but Clive, I, I did hear that you sort of had a, a final point on that, and um, I wouldn't. I, I think we'd all be worse off if we missed it, so please share it. <laughs> well, thank you. I think uh, the different ways to skin a cat, right? I think we use Smith for a lot of the left. And I'm thinking potentially we can either introduce Joe Willick into a more senior role. Obviously, I don't think you're a fan of that, but I, I'm I'm still very 50-50 on that plan. I think he's growing all the time. Or we decide, well, actually, let's focus a bit more on the left-hand side, you know, and let's create a situation where Saka plays inside a little bit more. And looking at sort of winger forwards, I, I love winger creators. I love players like that that... Things. You know, oh, I actually fit that because remember when we scouted him, he did a lot of things from the left hand side in yeah, the front yeah. three. Mm-hmm. 
And he, so it's those type of players that are flexible and fungible. They don't, they don't block anybody. They don't play in one position. They can cover a few places. Oar plays left eight, he plays 10, or he plays left forward. So that sort of player, funny enough, Brendier was more the right-sided version of that. That sort of player fixes you in the squad massively and doesn't block anybody. Now, funny enough, I, I sort of assumed when we were going for William, he was going to be that player, but he obviously is underwhelmed. So that player needs to move off the wage bill, although we'll be paying for him for a little while yet. He's under Williamed. Yeah, I think there's different ways to skin a cat, and I think what Smith Rowe may be doing is forcing us to think about how we look at our offensive areas. But I do think there's a big blocker there in the, in the forward areas. I think it's Lacazette. I think Lacazette needs to move. If he moves, I think he may unlock the next way forward for us. So, dominoes to fall, but it's going to be interesting to watch. But um, as the pillar, you can do one, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and again, with Willock, just to be clear on one thing, my point isn't, uh, you know, do do one thing with Smith-Rowe and do another thing with Willock, and those two things are incompatible. Why am I saying that? My point is more that I think we've seen enough of Willock that we're probably at the make-a-decision point, and his fee is really... Um, at the highest it has been at any point really in his development, whereas Smith Rowe has just started to break in and look exceptional. He has already shown a ceiling that I don't think Willick showed for us. But I, I totally understand if people want to keep Willick on the basis of the things he's good at. We've never shown an ability to integrate that into how we play. Doesn't mean we can't. Be curious to see it. Um, yeah, also, Elliot, no bids coming yet for, for Willick. Mm-hmm. So in your mind, you've got your 30 million number next to him. But let's see what happens. Yeah, when, if it's when still 15 or 12 or 13, you know, whatever it was a season ago and it hasn't budged off that, when you see other kind of exciting English talent coming to us, for example, for 50 million, yeah, forget that. I mean, at that point, you can you can make an argument. Don't go get a 10, leave Willock in the team and, and maybe make it work. I, I would sell him because I think we're at the be decisive moment, but not if the fee doesn't reflect the exciting loan spell he had. So we'll just see how it plays out. A lot of interesting things still to monitor. The good news is we can continue to talk about transfers for a while longer because Arsenal haven't done any yet, so we can still speculate. I am really curious because I think there is a big split right now in the people that think the club is going to get this window wrong and the people that think they're going to get it right, and I have no idea which it's going to be. I'm just thrilled to go along for the ride. Uh, I, I'm kidding. I'm thrilled to come up with a very serious reaction to it when it happens. Tim's on Twitter at Strobido. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Thanks, Pause. Underwilliamed, you bastards. It Un- was brilliant. Oh, under underwilliamed. I, I, you know, you're here for the puns, man. That that's what yeah. it is. You've you've seen the classy studio they have built us in Las Vegas, Paul. And and I just I just want you to know that I hope you will bring this powerhouse pun the shit pun, out of that mf'er. Pun, pun the shit out of that studio. Absolutely. Um, I, I, you know what? I just can't wait for a picture of all of us sitting around. You with your fucking mug in this classy studio. <laughs> me wearing a shirt that says that's why my friends call me whiskers. It's gonna be it's gonna be a disgusting mess and I can't wait. Uh, okay, that'll do it. Uh, we will have a Euro Daily after each of the semifinal, and I'd love to maybe have the regular group on for that because I think it's such a big event and it'll be fun to hear Tim's experience of the game. Tim, have fun at the game, by the way. Good luck. Yeah, shall do. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. All right, my name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're enjoying everything going on. We'll cover all the news as it breaks, of course, and more coming up for patrons later this week if you want to sign up there and check out the scouting videos. So we love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, transfer window nil.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.